What does it mean to be a Christian? What does it mean to be saved? What does it mean to be born again? Are these three words, are they interchangeable? Do they have similar meanings? I find that there's often confusion surrounding these questions, especially outside of a church setting. I go to church, I read my Bible, I'm a good person. I'm a Christian. You know, someone who, I'm hearing a lot of feedback, I don't know if anybody else is. Someone who I love dearly, uh, a prayer warrior, um, prays every day, but in her apartment she has uh, a number of Buddha statues placed throughout the apartment. And I'll ask her, I'll say, but why do you have those? You know, these little carved Buddhas. And it's because she wants the extra protection. And, and I said, well, you don't need that. All the protection you have is in God. It's in Jesus. Well, Stephen, you know, I... I wish I had your faith. Like, how can I know? How can I know for certain, she will ask. Well, the book of Ephesians is about being in Christ. It's about our spiritual union with Christ. If anything, that's what I hope you will remember when we leave here this morning. We've, we've had a great start to this series. We'll remember that the first part of Ephesians chapter 1 it's all about God's master plan. Gwen spoke about that. God's master plan. Last week, Leslie, you were here, the, the second part of chapter one. And it was about Paul's prayer, in my opinion, that we would understand God's master plan. And so this morning, in Ephesians chapter two, verses one to 10, that's where we're going to spend our time as we start to understand how we can realize God's plan. But Leslie threw me a little bit of a, of a, of a softball. Uh, a, he lobbed one out there last week when he was up there. Um, and he spoke about the riot in Ephesus. And, and I will encourage you, I will invite you to turn with me to Acts chapter 19. He referred to it. Um, he went over it. I just want to spend some time in it so that we'll have a full appreciation of the context of the culture, of what was going on at that time, so that when we read what Paul's letter to the Ephesians, we'll have a better understanding of what he's speaking about when he's talking about salvation and the six different aspects that I believe are related to salvation as outlined in this text this morning. So Acts chapter 19, verse 23. That's where we're going to begin. Acts chapter 19, verse 23. About that time, there arose a great disturbance about the way. A silversmith named Demetrius, who made silver shrines of Artemis, brought in a lot of business for the craftsmen there. He called them together, along with the workers in related trades, and said, you know, my friends, that we receive a good income from this business. And you see and hear how this fellow Paul has convinced and led astray large numbers of people here in Ephesus and in practically the whole province of Asia. He says that gods made by human hands 
are not or are no gods at all. There is danger not only that our trade will lose its good name, but also that the temple of the great goddess Artemis will be discredited. And the goddess herself, who is worshipped throughout the province of Asia and the world, will be robbed of her divine majesty. And then there's a couple of arrests, and they get together, and in verse 33 it says, the Jews in the crown pushed Alexander to the front, and they shouted instructions to him. He motioned for silence in order to make a defense before the people, but when they realized he was a Jew, they all shouted in unison for about two hours, great is Artemis of the Ephesians. So here before us, we have a better understanding of what's going on in Ephesus. The people believed in gods made by human hands. They weren't quite little Buddhas, but we understand what was going on. They were worried that the temple of the great god of Artemis would be discredited. They, uh, they were worried that the goddess herself, who is worshipped, would lose her majesty. I, I don't know how that would happen if you were a true goddess, but... And then as Glenn referred to, as he was referring to Guilford's funeral, you know, here we have many people shouting in unanimous for two hours, great is Artemis of the Ephesians. So that's the context. So when we turn to Ephesians, and I invite you to do that now, when we turn to Ephesians, again, we see God's plan in chapter 1, and in chapter 2, we're going to be told how to realize the plan. And what I love about this, and this is important, is that not only are we saved, but we are also filled with God's power. And in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 19, it says, His incomparably great power for us who believe. So it's not just about us being saved, which is important, but we're also filled with that power. And he wants us to understand that power. And he wants us to live by that power. And he wants us to claim that power. It's the same power that freed Christ from the chains. And then at the end of verses uh, of chapter 1, we read, which he exerted in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly realms, far above all rule and authority, powers and dominions. And we're going to touch on that a little bit in these verses as well. So it's resurrection power. It's exaltation power. It's ascension power. It's exciting. <laughs> Chapter 2, beginning at verse 1. Ephesians 2, verse 1. As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins, in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. All of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh, and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature deserving of wrath. But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in transgressions. 
It is by grace ye have been saved. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus, in order that in the coming ages he might show thee, here's that word again, incomparable riches of his grace, expressed in his kindness for us, to us in Christ Jesus, for it is by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves, it is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. For we are God's workmanship, or handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. Let me suggest, and this is not me, I, through my readings, this is what I've come up with, and I thought it was an original idea, but then I, I saw that it was being repeated everywhere else, but it's not mine. But here's one way to look at this, and if you're a note taker, this is what I'm going to, well, this is what I'm going to suggest. There are six aspects to our salvation in these verses, okay? And they're all presented in three different tenses. So verses one to three, it speaks about the past tense, what the Christian was. Verses four to six speak about the present tense, what the Christian is. And verses seven to 10, well, they discuss the future tense, what the Christian will be. And so here are the six aspects of salvation. If you're a note taker, here they are. I'm going to give them to you once, and then we'll run through them individually. Salvation is from sin, by love, into life, with purpose, through faith, unto good works. Okay, I'll do it one more time. Salvation is from sin, by love, into life, with purpose, through faith unto good works. Salvation is from sin. That's the first one. Verse two, sorry, verse one, as for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins. Now, if you are a Christian, this verse refers to your past. If you're not a Christian, it speaks of one's present state. So if you, it refers to a life that is alienated from God. Um, someone who is unresponsive to spiritual things. So think of it as somebody who is spiritually dead. Physically you're alive, but spiritually dead. A walking zombie, just going through the motions. Uh, we understand physical death. Uh, a number of years ago, uh, my aunt, my, my grandfather had, I think, 12, 13, 14 siblings. I should have checked before. It was too many to count. And I remember I got the phone call from his sister who says, come quickly, uh, Uncle Leo, we think he, he's in the hospital, we don't have much time. So I picked her up, we went to the hospital, and I, I just thought he was sick, I didn't know, he was, I think in his 50s, he had passed away of a heart attack. And he was there, he was in the room, and, and she's over him, and she's talking to him, and she's rubbing his cheek, and she's rubbing through his hair, and she's speaking to him, and she's like, wake up, wake up. But you know what? He was completely dead. There was no response. He said absolutely nothing. You saw the tenderness of her heart, but there was nothing you can do. Totally unresponsive. In these verses, that's what Paul is speaking about. He's saying, you're spiritually dead, right? Physically alive, yes but spiritually dead, unresponsive to God's love, unresponsive to God's embrace, unresponsive to anything God-related. And spiritually dead people, where do they walk? Well, it says they walk in the area of transgressions, they walk in the area of sins. 
And so the word transgressions, you look at the Greek, you look at what it means in the English, and what we come, come out with is it refers to stepping out of bounds. You play a sport, you play a game, you're out of bounds. That, that's what transgression means. And what does sin refer to? Well, sin refers to missing a target. You've heard it many times. You shoot at a target, you miss the target, we fall short of the target. So it's important to understand that we are not dead because of sin. We're not dead because of sin. We're dead because of our sinful nature. Right? We are not liars because we lie. We are not liars because we lie. We lie because we are liars. And that verse in Romans chapter 3 where it says, For all have sinned and, and fall short of the glory of God. See, sin is a failure. It's an inability to glorify God. We understand that a liar is a sinner and a thief is a sinner and a murderer is a sinner. But it's not so much about what we do, it's about what we fail to do. And what we fail to do is to give glory to God. We, we fail to meet God's holy standard. We create our own idols. We worship our own gods. We fall short of the glory of God. And it's only when we, recite, we receive God's righteousness in Christ, or receive Jesus' righteousness in God, that we are justified before God. See, I may be the greatest son. Hi, Mom. And I might be the greatest husband. Hi, Nancy. And I might be the greatest father. Well, they're not here. But, um, and I may be the greatest humanitarian. But guess what? I'm still a sinner. I'm still a sinner. And, it's, and so... It's not about so much about my conduct and what I do, but it's what I don't do. And what I don't do is I don't live a holy, perfect, righteous life before the eyes of God. And paraphrasing a quote that I, I saw and I read and I thought it was great, he says, I try to jump to the sea of perfection and land in the sea of sin. Dead man walking in trespass and sin fails to meet God's perfect holy standard. Person might be morally good, but they are walking out of bounds. They are walking in the wrong direction. They are walking away from God's perfect holiness. And the dead man who is walking in such a way is influenced by the power of this age. We read in these verses, as for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work, and those who are disobedient. We know from the early beginnings in the Garden of Eden, disobedience was in part the reason for our spiritual death. But you must not eat from the tree of knowledge of good and evil, for when you will eat it, you will surely die. You will not surely die, said the serpent. What happens? Both man and woman, they believe the lie, and since then, we all have rebellious, disobedient hearts. And so the verses in Ephesians clearly states that the devil is at work in those who are disobedient. His influence was clearly apparent in Acts chapter 19, which we just read. In, in the idols, in the pagan worship. But Christ has been raised to the heavenlies. 
right? He's above all rulers, all powers, all authorities, and that's where we are too. And so the salvation is not just from sin, but it's about the spiritual demonic influences of the world. That's why in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 6, Paul wrote, Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of such things, God's wrath comes on those who are disobedient. Again, clearly, between the two. And Paul, in chapter 6 of Ephesians, finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Again, it all ties in with chapter 1, and we'll let whoever's speaking that Sunday do that. But put on the full armor of God so that you can stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is against flesh and blood. It's not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces in the heavenly realms. So we need to be on guard in the world, the devil, and our flesh. Verse 3 says, All of us lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature deserving of wrath. When Paul speaks of the flesh, he's not referring to the skin. He's referring to the sinful nature. We were all born with a sinful nature. You see, a dog behaves like a dog. You know why? Because it's got a dog's nature. What does a dog do? Barks, it growls, and it wags its tail when it's happy. Now, if you can take a cat's nature and put it inside a dog, somehow transpose it, that dog's nature would be radically different. It would now purr, it would now meow. I've never seen a, a cat with a wagging tail. It's always scared and upright, right? We behave like sinners because of our sinful nature. And Paul, he's warning us here about our desires and our thoughts. And he's telling us to be careful. So I'm somebody who likes clear examples. Okay, these are all great words and, and, and you put it, but I'm somebody who, who likes to break it down. I, I need to break it down. And I, I found this, this quote from a book called Temptation. It's a small booklet called Temptation by Bonhoeffer. I'm going to read it to you because I think it does a better job than anything I can say up here. In our members, there is a slumbering inclination towards desire, which is both sudden and fierce. True? With irresistible power, desire seizes... Mastery over the flesh. All at once, a secret, smoldering fire is kindled. The flesh burns and is in flames. Listen, it makes no difference whether it is sexual desire, or ambition, or vanity, or desire for revenge, or love of fame and power, or greed for money, or finally, that strange desire for the beauty of the world, of nature. Where's Nick? Joy in God is in course of being extinguished in us, and we seek all our joy in the creature. Nick was mentioning this during the breaking of bread this morning. What incredible how the Spirit just ties it all together. At this moment, 
God is quite unreal to us. He loses all reality. And only desire for the creature is real. The only reality is the devil. Satan does not here fill us with hatred of God. I'm going to say that again. Satan does not here fill us with hatred of God, but with forgetfulness of God. The lust that arouses envelopes the mind and will of man in deepest darkness. The power of clear discrimination and of decision are taken away from us. It is here that everything within me rises up against the word of God. So let me summarize this first section. I said salvation is from Sid. The the spiritual dead person is unresponsive to God. Walking in trespass, out of bounds, and sin, falling short of the glory of God. Influenced by Satan and his demonic associates. That's what we're saved from. In a world of disobedience, following our thoughts and desires and cravings of the flesh to satisfy our sinful nature which is ultimately, at that point in time, a soul alienated from God. We following me? Salvation is one, from sin, and two, by love. And there's no way we're going to go through all of these in that much depth. Verse 4. But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace you have been said. Glenn Smith stood up here two Sundays ago and in his conclusion, in his concluding remarks, in his, in his famous, you know, so what, he said something that struck me. He said, the greatest thing about me is that I am loved by God. He said, God is love. It's an intrinsic attribute. But how does that relate to sinners? You know, we can say, God is holy. God is holy. But how does that relate to us? Well, God is holy, and he relates to us in justice. We can say that God is truth. He is truth. How does that relate to us? It relates to us in faithfulness. So when we say God is love, and he is love, that's his intrinsic attribute, how does that relate to us? Well, let me suggest that that love becomes grace and mercy. We are not saved by God, we are not saved by God's love. We are saved by his grace and mercy because he is love. You see, we really don't deserve what we do get, and we don't get what we do deserve. Um, I remember a couple of years ago, I was, I was driving, I was a student, uh, I was from the east end to the west end to umpire a, a baseball game, a softball game, and I'd blown through a stop sign, and the cops were right behind me, and I pulled over, and good day, and I smiled, and it was really polite, and um, five minutes later, they came back, and I said, have a good day. No ticket. That would, that would have been my, you know, the two, three, the th- two games, the, the six hours on the diamond would have been, they didn't give me what I did deserve. <laughs> And they gave me what I didn't deserve, and they didn't give me what I did deserve. And it was, it was pretty amazing. 
How much greater is the grace and mercy of God who is love towards disobedient sinners? But because of his great love, God who is rich in mercy and abundant outpouring mercy did not give us what we most deserved as disobedient sinners, which is the wrath of his holy and divine judgment. We were, we were sitting ducks. We were, by nature, objects of wrath. That's what we read. But, I love that, the imperative, but because of his great love for us, God in his loves, God in his love sees his law satisfied in Christ. So salvation is one, from sin, two, by love, three, into life. Verse four, but because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ, even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. You know, in, in the Gospels, apart from Jesus' resurrection, there are three recorded resurrections. Anybody remember some of them? We can make this a little bit more interactive. So you, three resurrections. Anybody remember? Just shut them out. So the, the widow's son, yes. I heard the other one. Lazarus, two. Jairus' daughter, three. Those are the three, right? And these are all, and you can find them in Luke 7, Luke 8, John 11. These are all amazing physical resurrections. But they're all a picture of our spiritual resurrection. Right? When a, when a sinner hears the word of God and believes, he or she experiences a spiritual resurrection. And a spiritual resurrection is greater than a physical resurrection. Why? Because we as believers are now united with Christ. We now share in the power of his resurrection. We now share in his resurrection life. We now have access to all the spiritual blessings that are in Christ. We've been talking about them for two, for two weeks now, right? We are now holy and blameless. We are adopted as his sons. We have redemption through his blood. We have forgiveness through sins. We are marked with his Holy Spirit. We are guaranteed an inheritance. Give me an amen. I mean, this is incredible. We are now alive, and this is everything that we, we have access to. Let's not forget that. Fourth aspect of our salvation is with a purpose. Verse 6, And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus in order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. Notice how God raises us up with Christ and seats us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus. I, I don't know if we all get that. Maybe we just spend some time reflecting on this throughout the week. I mean, this is the, this is the beautiful thing in Paul's prayer, hoping that we understand God's plan as he speaks about the power that we have through the Holy Spirit. Our salvation is not just this coming of faith. I mean, it's important, but there's so much more to that. We are now raised. We are now seated, spiritually speaking, in the heavenlies. There is a day of a physical resurrection, which is spoken about in Romans chapter 8, again by Paul. But listen, 
God does not leave, uh, God does not leave us dead in the grave. He does not raise us from the grave to leave us in the graveyard. He raises us up to the heavenlies. Grave clothes left behind. A new shirt. New pants. A, a, new, a new life. This is the miracle of resurrection. This is the miracle of, um, of ascension or, or being seated in the heavenlies. We're now raised up. We are now in the heavenlies. That's what he was saying earlier when he, we rate, where Christ is now seated above the dominions, above the authorities. We're now seated there with him too. We're raised up. Our, citizens, our citizenship is in heaven, right? Uh, may we fix our eyes not on earthly things, but on heavenly things. Our, our body is here, but our mind is, th- is there. The, the things we talk about, the, they originate from there. They're, they're on heavenly things, right? When we pray, we pray to the God, our Father who art in heaven, Right? God's leading of my life, it originates from there. Our praises go there. And why do we do all of this? Well, we just read in verses 7, in order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. The purpose of our salvation is that the church would, be, would glorify God's grace for all eternity. Ephesians 1, verse 6 to the praise of his glorious grace, which he has freely given us in the one he loves. Ephesians 1, verse 12, in order that we, who were, first, who were the first to put our hope in Christ, might be to the praise of his glory. Verse 14, who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession, to the praise of his glory, over and over and over again. When we are saved in the coming age, that is now, and God is pouring out the riches of his grace and of his, of his mercy, it is to the praise of his glory. We have everything in Christ, and we can now delight in him. That's why in Ephesians 3, verse 10, his intent was that now through the church, the manifold wisdom of God should be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms. God says, look how kind and gracious and merciful I am, and he gets all the glory. Salvation. Fifth point, through faith. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith, and this not from yourselves, it is the gift of God, not by works so that no one can boast. Salvation is through faith. It's it's not by works. We can't earn it. We don't deserve it. Sounds like the lyrics from Reckless Love. Still, you give yourself away. Oh, the overwhelming, never-ending, reckless love of God. Salvation is a gift. It's not a reward. We simply believe in Jesus. We lean on him with all our weight. It's not about human achievement, human qualifications, attending the church won't save us, reading our Bible won't save us, prayer won't. Look, they're all good things in themselves. But salvation is not about works. Why? Because Christ already completed the work on the cross. Amen? Said God gets all the glory. Otherwise, I'd just be boasting in myself. Hey, look at me. You know, we have all kinds of faith. You ever go, anyone been to a restaurant lately? Order some food? Did they wash their hands before they made it? Do you know what they put in there? Was there an expiration date on, on the food that they put? We don't know. You, you, you ever get on a plane? You don't know the state of that pilot. You hope, you hope he's, he's, he's all there that morning. You hope he didn't, you know, he slept well. 
Yeah, I mean, if we can place these, our faith in, in restaurants and the food we eat and when we get behind a wheel and when we sit on a plane, surely we can place our faith in the God of the universe. For it is by grace you have been saved, through faith. Sin worked against us, Christ works for us. Amen. Last point. Mm, we're going to get there. Unto good works. Or for a plan. Verse 10. For we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. Um, the word here for handiwork or masterpiece is the English word for poem. I didn't know that. Poem, P-O-E-M, a poem. It means that which is made. God wants us to be more like Christ. Not perfect, but more like Christ. Remember that bracelet, WWJD? This years ago, everyone, WWJD, what would Jesus do? We are a work in progress. Look at me, everybody, look at me. Proof in the pudding. We are a work in progress. The same power that raised Christ from the dead is the same power that saves us and helps us live for his glory. It's not for the goddess of Artemis, it's not for the, the, the Buddhas or the idols or the man-made carvings or the or things of this world that we chase after. But God must first work in us before he can work through us. God must work in us before he works through us. As we read and meditate on his word, he cleanses and nourishes us. We then pray, his Holy Spirit fills us. Some of us go through some difficulties and trials in life. Then we just go back to the word. We pray more trials. And guess what? It's a circle. For we are God's workmanship, listen, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which Christ, which God, sorry, prepared in advance for us to do. Look at the contrast, right, of good works. Which good works? The ones that God prepared in advance, which, that means 12 o'clock, I'm almost done. <laughs> the good works that God prepared in advance for us to do in contrast with the, with the works of the devil, of the disobedient. Right? We, this morning we were talking about having to die to ourselves, our self-accomplishments, Right? We, we talked about a, a servant king. We talked about sacrificial service. And what's neat is that all of these good works are good, not because we're good. They're good because of the new nature that we have received in God. And if God prepared these, advance, these works for us to do in advance, who are we to get in his way? Delight yourself in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. And so... Maybe God's even stirring us. You know, Kelly organized that prayer time this morning. It was wonderful. Tons of opportunities for ministry this summer. Doesn't have to be a camp. It could be here at RBC. And you know, for those of us who might have some more physical limitations, we always tend to think, oh, it's all about doing something. This, praying, just praying is part of that plan, is part of that purpose. Salvation is one from sin, two by love, Three, into life. Four, with purpose. Five, through faith. Six, unto good works. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the salvation that we have. We thank you for the salvation from sin for all who believe. We thank you for your incredible love shown to us in your grace and in your mercy. We were so undeserving. What are we but yet for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believed in him would not perish but have eternal life. 
And now we have this new life. We are alive. We are in union with you, God. We are spiritually connected. All of the spiritual blessings here on earth and those to come. And we know that it is with purpose to give you all the glory, to say thank you for the church to know, the angels to know, for everybody to sing your praises of how great thou art. And this we do through faith, Lord. We thank you for the faith. We thank you that we can believe. We thank you that it's not based on our works, but on your work accomplished on the cross. And God, we just want to be reminded about how you have a plan in each of our lives, that it's been ordained by you, this plan and this purpose. And so speak to our hearts, Lord God, that we would know your will, that we would delight in you, and that you would lead us so that we can give you all the glory. We pray these things.